to another edition of Into the Foxhole. I, as always, am your host, Will, joined by my brother, John. John, how are we? We're doing well. It's been, been a while since we last recorded, so hopefully we can just, you know, shrug off that that, that rust. Exactly, but, the uh, ring rust. Has yeah, to, the ring know, rust, exactly. The ring rust, get the muscle memory back. And yeah. I don't know how muscle memory applies for podcasting, but... It's enunciating. It's exactly. all in consonants, consonants, consonants. Con- don't forget about vowels. <laughs> consonants, 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 vowels. Yeah, if I start seizing up in the middle from like from lip cramps, just keep going on. Yeah. Play on yeah, with you that. Gotta, you gotta carry the carry the weight. You know? carry, exactly. That, that, that would be that would be your goal. I guess, I mean, I, I want to talk about this because we got our first live, first ever, possibly only ever live podcast this Saturday. Uh, this will come out <laughs> many, many weeks after we do this, but that's the nature of podcasting time. Right. It's that we record something in the past to release it in the present, talking about something way in the past. Sure. Exactly. And now, no, and now we, we're talking. No, we recorded in the past to post it in the future, to edit it in the now. Talking about the talking about the way past, yeah, exactly. But for the first time ever on live live podcast, exactly for the first time ever, all those things will merge Merge to the present. Exactly, it'll be it'll it'll be like uh, merging the streams in Ghostbusters. It's it's like uh, it's you know, in the MCU, it's the Doctor Strange of the uh, MCU, you know, the (laughs) Marvel Cinematic Universe. The Doctor Strange that that keeps everything together. Well, no, it's just the time. Time's all messy without their. That's a whole thing in the Marvel Universe, and then Doctor Strange's thing is time. So, well, on this time, I guess before <laughs> I get my get my brain in a pretzel knot, this time on the podcast, uh, we'd like to welcome on Noah Quinn to the podcast. Noah, happy to have you Hello, here. Hello, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you, Noah, hailing from the great from the great city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, mm-hmm. and uh, so city happy. that never sleeps. The city that never sleeps. They call it the Big Easy. The Big Easy. Uh, city of Angels. Okay, <laughs> Anthony Kiedis. <laughs> Let's calm down over there. Um, so happy to have you on the podcast. Noah is a fellow <clears throat> member, a former member of the North Shore of Chicago, growing up in beautiful Glencoe, Illinois, yeah. and also another esteemed member of the Haverford, former member of the Haverford College lacrosse team with myself. Uh, and, you know, Noah is one of, I would say, the chief chief facilitators of the content boom that happens, you know, in, in our college wow. in our college setting. I know, wow. that's high praise. And that's, I, that's some of the highest praise I've ever received. <laughs> that's high praise. Exactly. And it's these kind of minds that we want to bring on to try and lubricate our podcast. John, you winced right there. Do, should I? Should I? Mm, different. Switch up the vocabulary. Switch up the vocabulary. Well, to yeah. add to the madness, I'm ready to jam a whole bunch of shit into your foxhole. <laughs> <laughs> All the viewers we lost by you saying lubricated. Back on. <laughs> instantly resubscribe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm excited to feel what it's going to feel like when my foxhole is filled. But I guess uh, today on the podcast, Noah, how am I going to get filled? What what are what are we going to be detailing on the podcast today? I'm super excited to uh, take part in this uh, journey today. Uh, Fox reached out to me. Fox being the will of the bunch um, mm-hmm. reached out to me to discuss School of Rock, which is a film that I hold near and dear to my heart. School of Rock. If he doesn't come up with the rent by the end of the week, he's out of here. You wake me up for that? Come on! Dewey Finn would have sold his soul for rock and roll, but nobody was buying. You're an embarrassment. You're out. 
Maybe it's time to give up those dreams. Don't you miss rocking out? You're not a teacher, Ned. You're the cross-dressing incubus from Magadeth. Dewey, I'm not a satanic sex god anymore. I'm a sub, and soon I'll be a certified teacher. Is this Mr. Schneebly? I'm the principal here at Horace Green Prep, and we need somebody to start immediately. Hmm, so how much are we talking here? Six fifty a week. Hello, this is Ned Schneebly. Everyone, I'd like to introduce Miss Dunham's substitute. This is Mr. Schneebly. All right, look, I've got a hangover. Who knows what that means? Doesn't that mean you're drunk? No. It means I was drunk yesterday. Now, at the most prestigious prep school in the country. Yes, Tinkerbell. That poster charts everyone's performance. Where the students are rewarded for following the rules. What kind of a sick school is this? He's going to teach them a lesson. There will be no gold stars or demerits. That will rock their world. It's called Rock Band. Is this a school project? It will go on your permanent record. Hello, Harvard, yo. You, what's your name? Zach. You ever play electric guitar? My dad won't let me. Zach, do not walk away from me when I'm talking to you. What makes you mad more than anything in the world? No allowance. Chores. Bullies. All you bullies get out of my way, cause I am really ticked off! Mr. Schneebly, just wanted to say, that was a really cool lesson today. Oh, thanks, dude. All they wanted was an education. They're gonna laugh at me. You have an incredible singing voice. People are gonna dig you, I swear. Okay. What they got... Clear. ...was a revolution. I've just been informed that all of your children are missing. And if you were to be a teacher... Jack Black, the school of rock. It will test your head and your mind and your brain. Really was my childhood in a sense because it was one of three DVDs that was in the backseat of my mother's Honda Odyssey. Uh, <laughs> so every time I would go to you know, hockey practice or a birthday party, there was a one in four chance that School of Rock was playing on the DVD player in the backseat. Yeah, uh, that that definitely is a similar experience. I gave a little fist pump to that's similar to us. John and I like to talk about those kind of like DVDs, those movies that we had like in rotation. School of Rock is one. Like I have the I have the DVD cover like imprinted in my head, yeah. and the fact that it's the same thing as what's the cover that's the main page on the Wikipedia page as I brought it up uh, makes me so happy. But yeah, it you know it, it definitely. It, it, it hits home for a lot of people in our age because of the time when it was released. And, you know, like, I think, you know, you hit it right there, Noah, talking about the DVD aspect. It was in the middle of the DVD boom of the mid-2000s. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. The oh, yeah. Right there with Freaky Friday and <laughs> Finding Nemo. Oh, yes. My, my backseat was always rocking. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we've talked about this. Finding Nemo, you got School of Rock, you got, you got Like Mike. Like that was Mike. a classic. I'm trying to Shrek. 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 Shrek was, that's an all-timer. Yeah, I think if we if we if we did an actual ranking of greatest like mid two thousands just classic DVD kids movies of all time, you would have to possibly go with Shrek as the number one right there. Yeah, I think you have to put that well well above uh, School of Rock for uh, for fun for the whole family, really. Oh, totally agree. It won an Oscar, John. It did. Well, animated film. Or... Yes, best animated picture. It broke the Pixar streak. Broke the. Uh, what was the Pixar movie? Well, the Pixar. I don't know who it went up against. All I know is that like Pixar had a stranglehold, and whenever Pixar would be in it, it would have a stranglehold on that category. It's possible that it didn't, didn't run, have a... It didn't run up against one, but I mean that's around when Monsters Inc. was coming out. It's I think. 01. I know it's 03. Or Shrek was 01. Oh, Shrek was 01. Oh, I'm looking at Skull Rock. Okay. Well, yeah, that might 40. be Toy Story 2 then. 
Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honest, but I mean, it's, yeah, I got accolades. Going to accolades. <laughs> Beating Monster Inc. and Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, fun fact, for best animated feature. So it did ruin the Pixar streak, even with the Pixar film in play. Mm. And a classic, too. That's a classic TBS movie right there. And like, we just hey, watched it last week. Yeah. No, we watched Shrek 2. And, but it was also on last week. <laughs> it's always on. Um, rather than go into the Shrek verse, which is definitely its own podcast, yeah. possibly series of podcasts in the future, uh, let's bring it back into No One Can Ever Stop the School of Rock. And Noah, take take us take us on a tale about School of Rock. You know what we got going on here. Sure. So. School of Rock, uh, directed by, I believe, Richard Linklater, mm-hmm. portrays uh, an egocentric, aspiring rock musician, Dewey Finn, played by uh, iconic Jack Black, who very much embodies the character in every sense of the word. Um, Dewey Finn has been fired from the band he formed uh, just a few weeks before the musical competition that he believes will be his and his band's breakthrough. Um he owes his substitute teacher, housemate, Ned Schneebly, uh, played by Mike White, I believe, several Mike thousands White. of dollars in, in rent. <laughs> Ned Schneebly, joined by uh, his long-term girlfriend, Sarah Silverman, uh, threatened eviction if he doesn't pay. Um, Horse Green Elementary School, which is the local elite prep school, urgently requires a substitute teacher. Uh, and calls Ned Schneebly, of which Dewey Finn answers the phone, and posing as Schneebly, accepts the position. Uh, Opportunistically, he forms a rock band with his gifted class of 10-year-olds and enters a local Battle of the Band contest, uh, hoping to realize his, you know, once rock star ambitions and collect the cash prize of $20,000 to pay back his rent debts. Um, Ultimately, the class band, spoiler alert, does not win the battle of the bands, but it does learn that the rewards of music transcend winning. Quoth, come on, man. The Sex Pistols never won anything. Wow. Exactly. Going deep into the some deep track quotes in there right now. Exactly. Right by Freddie Jones. But uh, I will say that, Noah, I gotta, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to literally cut that rendition, that, that, that recounting that you said. I'm going to have to cut that out of our podcast and literally wrap it in a bow, send it to the American Film Institute because you could not have embodied this movie better. That's exactly what it is, especially when you come, when you come down to what is the underlying force of this movie. Debt. What? Death. Death. <laughs> <laughs> death. What? No, when you think death, no. Death. When you think of School of Rock, you think of death. Yeah. No, uh, uh, obviously this movie is... It, it touches on those key aspects. It's just the, it, the 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 great rock atmosphere. Jack Black, like you said, basically born to play this role. You know, is is a confluence of factors, and then all kind of pieced together by, like you said, Richard Linklater. You know, seminal director from other films like Boyhood and Dazed and Confused, etc. You know, some would say he's never he he never doesn't. This man doesn't not hit. Yeah, I mean, other than I, I really don't know much of his films outside of those three. But I mean, those three. I think he has another good. trilogy that uh, that is, that is pretty popular. But uh, the romantic drama trilogy, the Before trilogy. Oh, the Before trilogy. Yes, it's, which seems a little bit different than than this uh, good old classic comedic classic. I will say, um, 
Yeah, I mean, first off, shout out Mike White. You know, written by the script is written by Mike, Mike White. White. Yeah, the different Mike White from our, our listeners. friend. Uh, listeners of the podcast will know we have a friend named Michael White, uh, my good friend. Kevin was uh, yeah. on the podcast. The Whites are a big friend of the of the podcast. Big friends of the podcast. Friends, uh, yeah. This is different Mike White. Yeah, uh, and yeah, who plays as Noah mentioned plays Ned Schneebly in uh, such a great kind of role. Unfortunately, you got no. You got to think that Mike White when he went into acting he knew he was going to play one kind of character and it was going to be this kind of character right yeah i mean the name ned schneebly embodies exactly <laughs> who mike white was supposed to be he might as well legally change his name to ned schneebly i'm sure plenty of people have suggested that because he when he's walking down the road no one's knowing he's mike white everyone's like hey mr schneebly, schneebly. <laughs> actually it's pronounced schneebly <laughs> um yeah uh, uh, it's, it's so much fun diving into this. And, you know, uh, I think we can also, like, you know, kind of allude to, we can we can start at the cast. We can start at, like, Bridge Layer. We can, we can look at the cast. And if you look at the cast of characters, you know, you think, oh, one of the downfalls of a movie with a lot of kids is that you said there's no real star power in there in the sense that these are all new actors. But even there, they managed to jam in so much star power in Jack Black. Joan Cusack, Sarah Silverman, in an underrated part playing one of the best heels in movie oh, history. Patty DeMarco. Yes. That's her name. Patty DeMarco. She she is gr- a great evil villain. The Wikipedia definition of her is Ned's domineering girlfriend. <laughs> it's on the nose. <laughs> right on the nose. And uh, Miranda Cosgrove as the lead uh, kid, as, as the only like memorable kid, because yeah. at that point, well, I guess she wasn't. She wasn't memorable at this point. She though. wasn't memorable at this point, I guess, in hindsight. In hindsight, she definitely, you know, Know, she's a constant fixture of, of many childhood. Yeah, you look and you're just like, oh wait, that's uh, that's I Carly over yeah, there, or Drake and Josh, or Megan. Uh, yeah, Megan, Megan. Yeah. Um, but I think that the core adult cast of Jack Black and Cusack, and well, I guess also like Silverman, Mike White, they do such a phenomenal job. And I think that they they do. John, I guess, help me out here, but they do a good job playing, especially Black playing off the kids and making, I don't know, elevating all the kids' performances. Yeah, I mean, because obviously, by looking at the, you look at the poster, this, it's Jack, Jack Black's at the center. Like, there's no, I mean, it's the school of rock, but Jack Black is the, is the leader of the group. You <laughs> exactly. Know? He's, he's, he's the tour de force on this one, but he really does do a good job throughout the film of incorporating, like, cause, I mean, how many different kids are in this class? You got, you got 20, 20, upwards of 20 kids in this class. And he's, and he's incorporating all of them in the many different aspects of the band. And it's sort of just cool to go through the comedic styling of him just raising the band up by himself. And then, you know, finally, you know, the, which finalizes at the battle of bands. Exactly. And no, I think that uh, there are a lot of memorable children that are, are the child actors here. And I guess it's, all, it's sometimes tough to always like remember all of their names, the specific characters. But do you want to give like a tiny maybe rundown of the like main players in terms of the uh, child actors, the musicians uh, in the movie? Sure. So I guess off the bat, you have Miranda Cosgrove, who is probably actually undoubtedly the largest child star uh, of the cat. She plays the goody two shoes, uh, summer, whatever her last name is. Mm-hmm. Summer Hathaway. There so, you go. Yep. Yeah. I, I nailed that one. Oh, yeah. Did you pull that out of your ass? Let's go. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the, the key band members are, uh, 
I'll refer to them by their, the character name, Zach Mooneyham on the guitar, <laughs> yeah. um, Freddie Jones on the drums, uh, blanking on the bassist name, I want to say Katie. Her name, yep. is her, Katie. her name is Katie. Katie, and then you got Mr. Cool Lawrence <laughs> on the keyboard. Uh, and obviously you have Jack Black, uh, lead vocals and shredding guitar. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the one of the greatest epithets of all time. I will be playing lead vocals and shredding guitar. Yeah, uh, like you said, you hit on the, the main characters there: the guitarist, uh, bassist, drummer, and uh, who am I forgetting? And, 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 and no, and keyboards, keyboards Mr. Yeah, yeah, Lawrence, Mr. Cool Mr. Cool, Lawrence. The one, obviously. the one I would add would be Turkey Sub Tamika. That's that's the one, only one. Yeah, so one I feel like that's pretty. She's she plays a pretty big role. It's kind of a fun Silent little killer. Exactly, you know, second singer slash lead choir Tamika. You know, that's just that's just a good good part to mention. Exactly, and then you also have Alicia and Marta, who are the other backup uh, mm-hmm. choir singers. Uh, don't worry, no, this is not instant recall like yours, which is quite amazing. Yeah. I'm literally on the Wikipedia cast uh, remembering the characters' names here. But uh, that kind of like rounds out the band aspect. But like John said, it's, it's interesting seeing how the other kids get involved. Being, <laughs> he calls them groupies. Yeah, so. the groupies. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is better than that, than that Summer Hathaway description of when she finds out what a groupie is. Yeah. <laughs> the, meanwhile, we're all probably like seven or eight years old watching this. And like, I remember watching this and like, I didn't understand at all what a groupie was. And then like, no, here, no, not, one bit. not one bit. And now I get it. And it's something I, I think it, it's, it's worth mentioning that, you know, although the groupies may have a more periphery role in the band, they are the ones that came up with the name School of Rock, and, and people do forget that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're right, uh, it's a very important scene, and one of my favorite comedic scenes when they are bouncing off names uh, to Jack Black while he's trying to have a, a talk with uh, Principal Mullins, Roz. Uh, <laughs> and Roz. they're kind of just like, we want to be like, what, the Pixies? Or, or like the Cotton Candy? <laughs> exactly. And then he's talking in that out of nowhere. So one of them just yells out, Pig Rectum! <laughs> yeah, I don't know what either of those women are up to these days, but if I had to guess, they probably moved to Oregon or selling handcrafted jewelry on Etsy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure it's high quality and, and locally locally sourced <laughs> locally sourced glass. They're probably making killings out there, you know. Probably I would high high five figures, you know, uh, out there in Portland or wherever they are. Probably which that's good. Money. Which that's you, know, you can do a lot of damage in that Ooh, town with high fives. I take that, you know. Exactly. High five. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I think one of the best parts about having you know a huge ten-year-old cast or young young adult uh, or prepubescent cast is it really does age over time like a fine wine, and it's been fun for me, you know, as a fan to kind of follow what these kids have been up to since. I, I love those every you know five ten years you see articles where where are the school from now and. Uh, unsurprisingly, a lot of them are battling some pretty shitty stuff. You know, got <laughs> drug addiction, arrests, uh, and very few of them, you know, stayed on the court and are, are pursuing musical uh, talents professionally. So that's kind of a bummer. But well, it's yeah. expected. There, there's quite the high rate of attrition in terms of child actors and you know addiction. Uh, but yeah, I remember. I think it was earlier this year there was an article about the bassist. Um, no, I don't know if you remember this coming out of John. There was an article about the bassist who she uh, kind of 
posted, I can't remember if it was an article poster, she kind of posted a memoir or something like that, essentially kind of detailing her struggles with addiction and also with this kind of weird slice of fame that she had gotten, uh, as you know, John, and I'm sure you might, you know, you might know, uh, the bassist was another member of the North Shore of Chicago, I believe she went to, she was. I think she went to South, I think she went to GBS maybe? She is a new Trier graduate. Oh, she's a new Trier. Oh, I didn't know that. There's also a second cast, uh, childhood cast member uh, who hails from the North Shore, and he is also playing in the band. Do you know who it is? Is it Freddie Jones? It is Freddie Jones. Freddie Jones. Oh, no way. I had no clue about that. That must have been cool if they like saw each other in the hallways. Like, ah, it's, it's remember? Like, exactly. We made that movie. Exactly. <laughs> now we're fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Your parents really <laughs> awful? Like, that horse uh, cast member of, uh, of the class has got to be uh, Tough Guy Frankie, played by uh, Angelo Masali. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Tough Guy Frankie's other works, but I'm pretty sure he's only ever been in three things as a, as a chubby child. And it was School of Rock, Stuart Little 2, and he also played Bobby Bacala Jr. in The Sopranos. <laughs> no! No! I, those are way out of profile pages in existence. <laughs> you, talk, you talk about the, you talk about Goldilocks and the Three Bears right there. You got yeah. Stuart Little, School of Rock, and then far, far out of the ballpark uh, appearance in Sopranos. Wow. Um, but he does have a pretty he does have a pretty killer line in this, you know, when he when he's in the hallways. Principal Ross, you're the man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're the man, Principal Ross. Always gets a crack. And I think that's a Another kind of good place to start because I feel like, you know, this ostensibly obviously is a comedy, you know, a children oriented, a child, child kind of geared comedy, young adult, but also obviously suitable for all ages. Um, I think the rating was probably PG-13 or PG. What do you think? What, what yeah, we... I think PG-13. I think? I thought it was PG. Yeah, possibly, but around that kind of level. So, Jeez, def- so possibly. Listen to exactly. PG-13. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're. I think you're giving like four slots in PG movies. I may be wrong though. I think you get like four max. What's the average threshold of PG movies? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But um, anyways, I oh, did I lose my train of thought there? Thinking about sluts. It happens every podcast now. I'm sorry. Somebody brings up sluts, sluts. and there will go. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but ostensibly a movie that is kind of geared towards kids. I guess I was okay. I guess what I was saying is that when we think of comedies kind of from this era and around this era, we obviously think of the Frat Pack, which is, uh, you know, uh, a famous. We've talked about this on the show, but it's a group of comedians that were, you know, were in yeah. a lot of each other's movies in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, ostensibly, that's like the Fair. fourth time I yeah. said ostensibly, but you got. Farrell, the Wilson brothers, Vince Vaughn, Ben Stiller, thank you, Noah, um, Jack Black. The age old question is do you include Paul Rudd in the frat pack? He's like the bridge between he's, the frat pack and the Avatar Bros. He, he's in like both. It's pretty crazy, you know? Anyways, you think of like those frat pack movies and you think about how like everyone talks about, oh, most quotable movie of all time, it's gotta be Anchorman, or, you know, it's gotta be something like Zoolander or something like that. Thinking back to School of Rock, School of Rock is so incredibly quotable. Like it, 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 oh, yeah. 
like I think we've we've already dusted off like three or four right here, yeah. and that might just be because you know we've seen it so many times. But it 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 is for being not one of those kind of I guess you would say on the raunchier end of the spectrum movies. Yeah. It definitely is incredibly quotable. Like, do you, do you have a favorite quote, John? No, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> that is right. I was just testing you. And it's a magic number. <laughs> and it's a magic number. <laughs> That's interesting because my uh, uh, obviously this is just a great ploy to tell you one of my favorite quotes, which yeah. is my favorite quote is earlier on in that scene where Mullins comes in and says, "Oh, like I thought I heard like Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Johnson thought she heard music," and then Jack Black is like, "Well, there's no music because they hit all the guitars." Ah, oh, kids, you know what that means? Mrs. Johnson's on meth again. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like that's just one thing where you feel like the principal would just jump on that and just be like, "You can't be accusing our other teachers of being on meth, uh, Mr. Schneebly." Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk plot holes, you got to realize that in his first two minutes of being in Horace Green prep school, there was at least nine red flags that have gone off, and Miss Mullins has had to say, "This guy cannot get in front of students." Exactly. For someone who cares so much about the reputation of the school, you're right. There are at least a dozen red flags where you take a step back and you maybe think, hmm, you know, I don't know if this is standard. It may be asked for some form of identification. <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's all fair, but I think that also plays into Roz's character throughout the entire film because she's all pent up and she's all she's building throughout this, like all this pressure and all this stuff that she has, on, all the weight she has on her shoulders. I think that she sort of highlights it, you know, and she just left things slip because she couldn't be on top for a game. Well, in the sense that maybe she is like too, she gets so pent up that she's focused on the wrong things. That does, that is a a good theory right there. Cause she does seem to like focus on the little things so much that she just lets the big things go out the fucking window. (laughs) (laughs) Like she's busy talking with one of the teachers about the snack tray and the peanut butter and like the, the turkey, which I understand is a very important issue in grade school. However, like you said, she's just letting she's just letting Jack Black walk in here, or I'm sorry, Dewey Finn walk in here, impersonate a substitute teacher, call say his other say his fellow teachers are meth heads, you know, tell the students that he is hungover, wildly hungover in the middle of the first class. You know, uh, there is a fair amount that she that, that just goes straight over her head. Yeah, she's a terrible principal. <laughs> so, one piece that always really bugs me is it took her until I think Dewey Finn's fourth day before she introduced him to the other teachers. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what kind of Horace Green welcome is this shit? Is that what they do over at uh, Loyola? Oh, oh, do, oh dear God, no. Our, our teachers are the best. The teachers will find the best friends of their lives in that teaching staff. They 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 they, they will be introduced on day one. Yeah, uh, I, but you're right. It's just like it's not, and it's not even like that's like that's that big of a deal in terms of in terms of proving that like or I don't know. I just think it's a rude thing to do. Just you just four days. You expect this substitute teacher to kind of just sit in their room and kind of be like, oh, I guess I'm twiddling my thumbs here because I can't talk to anyone because I haven't been introduced to any of the fellow teachers. Yeah, it also leads me to, I think, what is probably my favorite quote of the film is uh, when he's really starting to get to know the teachers and it looks like they're having a good time, which was also a huge pivot for Dewey Finn's character. You know, up until that point, he was a bit of a social pariah and now he has kind of all these teachers fawning over the new guy and he's digging the attention and uh, he starts talking about, you know, his 
path as a failed musician, you know, extending the, the fabricated life to uh, the rest of the teachers. And he goes, I was this close to getting a chair of the Polish Philharmonic, and I nailed the audition, but didn't get it. Guess who did? Yo-Yo Ma's cousin, Lil Nepotiz. That's one of my favorite quotes, perhaps, in any film. And I think what makes it even better is, I thought that Yo-Yo Ma's cousin yes. was actually named a little nepotist. Yes, like yes. Some sort of philharmonic yeah. rapper type guy. And I had no idea that he was just uh, abbreviating nepotism. <laughs> I am so glad you brought that up. Because, you know, little nepotist, I, in my little, like, you know, second, third grade mind, I was probably thinking, oh, Lil Nepotist, maybe that's another East Asian name, like Yo-Yo Ma. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> but uh, obviously, over time, I was like, no, it's just shortening of nepotism, you idiot, Will. Uh, but you're right, that, that quote is just so perfectly delivered, all the way to the point where he's like, and I nailed the audition. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think it also brings up the point where, like, I feel like we all we all watched this kid this this film first time as kids, but like in actuality, while it is kind of a kids movie, like a little bit, it kind of a lot of the jokes are mostly made for adults. Hence, why it's a PG thirteen movie. You're right, and then also the obviously the musical, the soundtrack, the music yeah. influences are all geared towards people you know thirty years or older with the you know the heavy 60s, 70s influence, uh, obviously. So I think you're right in that it is definitely it's kind of tough to. It's tough to kind of pin this movie down, yeah. which I think is one of its strong suits is that you can't like pigeonhole it in a certain kind of genre or a certain cliche. It, it really is quite a unique movie. It is very unique. Yep. Yep. And on one of those, like I'm on one of those points, like I think over time, no, you talked about it aging like fine wine uh, in reference to following the children's actors careers, uh, the child actors careers. Uh, obviously, the movie has definitely aged incredibly well for us seeing it as a kid. And now, John, getting those jokes that are more older oriented and stuff like that. I think one of my favorite aspects of the film has been returning to the soundtrack over time and oh, yeah. songs that uh, just resonate and songs that obviously I remember from watching the movie so much but just obviously like kicking ass so much harder now, uh, following them over time. I mean, obviously the, the central song of the entire movie, you could say, John, would be. Well, okay. I, I would say there are a couple. I would okay, say, well, I would I would say, say that the, it, it either has to be Immigrant Song or I would even throw Edge of Seventeen up there too. Yes, okay. I, I think both of those are. I was, looking, those I was looking for Immigrant Song when I was thinking about yeah. this, but you're definitely right, Edge of Seventeen, especially how, what a focal point it, it actually plays in the plot. Yeah, um, but I mean the whole – I mean, yeah, Immigrant Song plays – pretty big role in this because obviously well the whole thing is the video that Richard Linklater had Jack Black make to submit to Led Zeppelin like begging them pretty much to let them play Immigrant Song in this film because Led Zeppelin had been known in the past to deny not only just Richard Linklater specifically but also <laughs> other people the ability to use their songs. Nah, Robert Plant just hated Daisy and Confused. <laughs> I didn't like it, you know? I just didn't get it. I didn't get it. <laughs> exactly. So he just gives them out to anyone but Linklater. Uh, yeah, no, that, that I've seen that video before. Uh, no, have you seen the video of Jack Black asking for the immigrant song? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, yeah. obviously Led Zeppelin are notoriously reluct reluctant to letting anyone license their music, but I actually didn't know that Linklater went for uh, went for Zeppelin on Dazed and Confused. But I assume that, it was Dazed and Confused. That would have fit, fit pretty well. I don't know why... Uh, 
why Robert Plant and Jimmy Page didn't see a didn't see kind of a mutually beneficial relationship there. British well, you know, they're so against drugs. You know, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> like it makes sense. They do not want anything to sour their perfect image. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As sober teetotalers. You know, they're big de- dare people. They're big dare. They're big dare people. Yeah. Robert Plant going to like going to Dayton, Ohio to go go talk in grade schools. <laughs> Oh, that's a good image. Uh, yeah, immigrant song, uh, focal point coming. Such a such a great one of those great scenes, great sing along scene when they're in the van uh, singing immigrant song. Uh, Edge of Seventeen, like you said, more focal to the actual plot. Well, well, great scene. Well, just the great scene when when Jack Black goes when he brings Roz to the to the like bar to like the cool yeah. bar and he just goes to play and plays and he's just like walking back and he's just strutting back. No, and he goes up the well. She goes. I was like, "Are you sure you don't have any coffee?" And the guy's like, "I'm sure." It's also great because I mean, Jack Black's entire intention of that scene was to get the principal drunk, play Stevie Nicks, and have her change her mind about letting them go to this fake field trip that uh, violates all types of school policy. And I guess it only took her a third of a beer to change her mind. <laughs> exactly. That's good analysis there. I never even thought about going back and seeing how much of the beer did Roz actually drink. The psychological it was like three sips of beer and she was dancing. Well, it was all getting entranced by Stevie. Yeah. You know, she was just like, she was, she was spellbound. It wasn't even the beer that took her. It was like, I saw Stevie when she came to town and just, whoa, whoa. Um, thinking about other songs that I enjoy. I mean, a personal favorite of mine that I've been going back to uh, recently that I've kind of rediscovered and love is the Ramon songs, Bonzo Goes to Bitburg, which is played in like one of the, I think in the only real big montage scene when they're showing the rock history. And it's the one that goes oh, pick yeah. up the pieces. Uh, it's awesome. That's, uh, that's a scene that will never get old for me. One, because I love the song. Uh, it's awesome Ramon song too, just because it's got all of the uh, it's got all of the rock clips in the background. So it's got like Keith Moon destroying the drums. It's got like Keith Townsend, you know, shredding on the guitar. It's got all the famous rockers. It's got like I think it's got Ang- Angus Young at one point. Yeah, I think I love that scene too because it also uh, it's like the first real snapshot we see into Dewey actually like coming into his own as a teacher and. Mm-hmm imparting some of his musical wisdom. And honestly, it's impressive the fact that he can, you know, individually teach someone the drums, guitar, bass, and not only just like the musical theory elements of it, but, you know, how to find your own self and, you know, how to develop a passion and style uh, from kind of all these greats. Yeah, and I think I think that brings up a good point because I mean I think this brings up the point about about Dewey Finn. Um, I don't think his issue with making it big was you know his ability because obviously he has the passion. He he shows out to he he can shred you know and he can teach. I really think it's the name Dewey Finn that really holds him back throughout <laughs> his life. Because imagine imagine you you you're going to see a rock show and the head act is Dewey Finn and Ned Schneebly. Are you are you going to watch that show? No, no, you are turning around. Wait, what is the what's the name of their band? Simon and Garfunkel. 
<laughs> um, the original band that he's in, No Vacancy. No, 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 not that. Obviously, No Vacancy. We'll get to No Vacancy. No Vacancy. Don't worry. Great name. No, I'm talking about was it like because there's the he's just like what happened to the maggot eat it like what it was like Ned and Dewey were in a band together. To, yeah, I know. Like, it was like some stupid like punk metal band. Yeah, but I mean, when your when your two head guys are Ned Schneebly and Dewey Finn, that's, exactly. that's not hardcore. We're gonna sing some songs for you. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if this is uh, actual uh, inspiration behind the name Dewey, but I, I recall reading once online that it, it might not be too implausible to speculate that Dewey Finn uh, is the intended namesake of the influential 20th century philosopher John Dewey. Uh, John Dewey you know, uh, held uh, a, a lot of very progressive views at the time that the proper aim of musical education was to break through conventionalized and routine consciousness. And so there's a lot of speculation on, on the Reddit sphere that Dewey Finn's character is is kind of based on some of the philosophies of, of John Dewey. Oh, that does sound that does sound like something that would come from the Reddit sphere. I felt like I just got <laughs> yeah. transported to a night class at Loyola University right there. Yeah, uh, backslash woe dude. <laughs> <laughs> Slash whoa, dude. And the band the band was called Maggot Death. Like, like that's, <laughs> Maggot Death. Do you see the picture of uh, Dewey and uh, the picture of Dewey and Mad? Like he's got the picture of them in their makeup, yeah. uh, which is pretty cool. Um, you're right that that name is definitely a handicap in the rock world. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's no Dewey Cox. I mean, you know, I mean, Dewey Cox has a ring. Yeah, exactly. It's Dewey Finn. Dewey Finn. I know this is pretty stereotypical, but it sounds like he should be a librarian. Yeah, I'm <laughs> Dewey Decimal System. Let's exactly. go. <laughs> um, no, it was, uh, back to your point about uh, the passion that he shows. I think that's like. I think that's one of the things that's just so great that comes across that I think it's something obviously that naturally effuses out of Jack Black, but just instills the character so well is just how well he connects with kids. Like you think of Jack Black just seems like a kid guy who's great with kids, kind of like zany in that right way. You well, know, yeah, fun. you just, you assume like he's fun, like a kid. Like, I mean, exactly. he's very, I mean, a childish, but like in a really good way. Like, know? oh no, like almost in that like Billy Madison way, but like a step, like I don't not know. Billy Madison. Eh. Okay, fine. Jeez. Well, no, like Billy Madison's <laughs> just like an idiot. Like I feel like, as we see throughout the throughout the movie, like Jack Black shows to be quite. I mean, smart in a lot of ways, you know. He well, has his flaws, but you know. Where I thought you were going before you talked about the name detour is what <laughs> I thought you actually. What's what I think his problem actually was, you know, why he couldn't find success is his lack of drive. And I mean, obviously, that's the main theme is like, you know, he's kind of like a deadbeat as, you know, Sarah Silverman's character will remind you. You're just, you know, what's it called? You're just like leeching off of Ned and stuff like that. Uh, but that he, Jack Black's character, Dewey Finn, really lacks the drive. Uh, and, you know, to kind of get him going to make use of his talent. And the kids just seem to be that perfect kind of whatever it is that unlocks that kind of drive where he just loves this kind of this teaching aspect, this performing aspect, uh, I guess in a way, kind of this babysitting aspect that he just like, it unlocks it in a way that, you know, what was his passion rock and roll couldn't quite actually unlock. Cause he'd been in rock bands for years, but they were just, you know, he was just, wasn't like, he was the guy doing stage dives and getting you know, drunk. He and, was the antics guy, you know, he was the, he was antics, the guy. antics guy. And you know what, if you're the antics guy, you're going to get replaced by a guy named spider. That's just going to happen. <laughs> 
<laughs> Another great quote. Read between the lines. <laughs> this is our new guy, Spider. <laughs> the great subtle the subtle foreshadowing in that scene where he's plant where Dewey's coming in and they're starting to sing Heal Me and you can hear and a minor G just expert level foreshadowing by Link Later oh, right there. I think it's also worth mentioning that Spider, I, I think, undoubtedly has the best fit of the movie at yes. Battle Band. Yes. Where uh, he's wearing a t-shirt of black leather that covers only his shoulders. It's just sleeves. Sex on his chest. <laughs> yes, the all sleeves look, no, no torso. It's it's iconic. The cut right above the nips is just... <laughs> you're right. Everyone else in No Vacancy is just kind of wearing like your... Typical, I don't know, not like slacker, like you're just typical kind of maybe like button down t-shirt, pants, kind of loose fitting clothes. And Spider comes in here taking it up to 11 with the high cut, <laughs> high cut sleeves only, shoulders covered. Uh, that that had to be like leather. It looked yeah, kind it was of leather. leather. It was leather. It's also worth mentioning that No Vacancy, you know, had a turnaround of their own right in that at the beginning of the movie, you see those kind of like music scouts. Or whoever those guys were texting each other, like, yo, these guys suck, let's leave. They kick out Dewey, bring in Spider, and three weeks later, they've improved so much that they're winning Battle of the Bands because Spider is, like, their save all. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, so, like, there's no way they got that good in three weeks. That's, that's, that's equivalent to Fleetwood Mac bringing in Stevie Nicks, and bam, they just released rumors. It hasn't been done before. I mean... Yeah, I mean, this really, like, should this be a movie about Spider? Like, I, no, I don't know. Like, like, this could be. These are, you know, Netflix and Apple Plus and Quibi are throwing out contracts yeah. like, they're, like they're fucking whatever. I don't know, like the pennies. Like, they're, they're just tossing them out. Like, it's the mortgage crisis of 2007. That's what they're doing. Okay. But whatever, they're just tossing out shows everywhere. Take a show. Here, you want a show? Here's a show. Take a show. You know, when are we going to get the Spider and No Vacancy anthology that we deserve? Yeah. Well, like, I also don't like it because, you know, like the Wikipedia page refers to No Vacancy as the antagonist. Like, are they really? Like, do they ever do that? Like, anything to, like, warrant them being antagonists? Besides the logical thing for the band. Which is get rid of the drunk guy that just messes everything up. That sucks. <laughs> like... And it was a necessary thing for Jack Black to truly grow, to do, for Dewey Finn to become his true self. Yeah, that'd be like kicking out the drunkest guy who's just running into everyone and spilling their drinks at the bar. And everyone going like, aw, you're well, no like, fun. Well, it's like, it's like uh, Blink-182, the original drummer, they kicked out because of because he, he was just like doing heroin or something like that. <laughs> like a lot, like a destructive amount. And that's saying something, like a destructive amount of heroin. Like a little heroin, he's still in the band. Right? And, uh, he's doing it too much. Again, we're bringing back, there's the slut threshold for the SEC and then there's the heroin threshold for <laughs> Blink-182. Exactly. You know, you've got up until a certain amount which yeah, across that line. I mean, we're all doing a little heroin. It's I'm just, sorry. you know, just don't, just don't get it destructive. And they bring in Travis Barker. And you know what? Like, you never see Travis Barker as an antagonist or yeah. Blink-182 as the antagonist. Swipe him from the ska, the third wave ska legend, legendary band, the uh, Aquabats. The Aquabats, of course. Former mm -hmm. drummer uh, Travis Barker. Uh, but this is neither here nor there. What is here and there is no vacancy. We want to know more about this. Noah, uh, this is possibly one of the most important questions I have to ask you on the podcast. 
are you a no vacancy truther? Should they actually have one? Did they deserve to win Battle of the Bands? You know, they did play a nice sounding song, but there's no way they would have yeah. won. There's just no way they would have won. I do think it is important to the plot that that the School of Rock didn't win because, you know, getting that encore at the end and getting the respect from their parents and kind of rising up as this, like, anti-establishment band of, uh, you know, convention breakers, it, it really does fit the narrative well. But no, like, the School of Rock absolutely melted the house down. Yeah. Also, it just sounds like they got like a way longer song. It's not like yeah. <laughs> was it like three solos in um. Uh, what is the, what is the actual name of uh of Zach's song? Is it just Zach's yeah, song? I'm pretty sure it's just Zach's song. Anyways, they get like three solos in Zach's song. I mean, obviously, objectively, a face melter. Uh, incredible. Everyone gets there. Everyone gets, it's the classic final kind of music scene where everyone gets to shine. You get the Jack Black scene. You get the Zach Mooneyham scene. You get. You get I, everyone but the bassist really gets to shine. Yeah. You get Mr. Cool, you know, doing his little bum 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 bum. Exactly. He's got the yeah. The pretty sure he's rocking like the dual keyboard. The dual keyboards, like, yeah. One on top, one on bottom, which oh. is just a sick look for a keyboardist. Like I mean, that is. I mean, I, I I I hate to keep coming back to Spider. But <laughs> I'm gonna just this is hopefully I'll end on this. But if you're to go on his like wiki like page, it's possibly one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Like with the actor. Yeah, or no, no, no. Like the kid, there's like you the know, how, Jack, like, you Jack know how they Black. have like subset, like yeah, with, it's, it's with, a school with, of rock with you. yeah, like <laughs> spiders. <laughs> Occupation: hacker slash replacement. Power slash skills: guitar, charm, charisma. <laughs> Hobby: picking up girls. Goals: humiliate Dewey. Outfame Dewey ensures band no vacancy wins. This man is just set dead set on a task. We need one of those. You've seen the TikTok choose your fighter memes. Yeah. Yeah, we need one for spider. <laughs> Coming at him. Choose your fighter. I, I just I, I love it. And God, like what a page. Like he's just getting he's just getting slandered on this page for just doing the right thing. All right. Well, I'll ask you, John, because you seem to love spider. Uh, did no vacancy deserve to win? Oh, absolutely not. Like there, I mean, as much <clears throat> I, it's the battle of the bands. I mean, it's a rock show. And the fact of the matter is School of Rock rocked harder than No Vacancy. It is fair that No Vacancy did come out with that third eye blind bullshit. They tried to win battle of the bands. They did. They, it was soft. Like, it was everything Jack Black was against, that Dewey Finn was against. They came in. They did it. I, apparently, they were just good at that, not the actual rocking. So, you know. But. Quote, it's a beauty contest. They didn't even listen to the music. Yep. That, that's very true. Yeah. I, I guess if you look at it that way, then. Maybe they did deserve to win if it was a beauty contest. And in that case, then you got to blame it on the wardrobe man, Billy Fancy Pants, you know? It has to be on Fancy Pants' hands. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's just no way around it. This, this all comes down to him. Talk about someone who doesn't really get a redemption arc in this movie. Yeah. Unfortunately, it just seems like he, you know. He does have, like, he does have a pretty solid quote. You're tacky and I hate you is a pretty iconic quote well, throughout yeah. the film. But I'm just saying, uh, Noah, the man gets no respect in the film. He absolutely doesn't. Uh, one thing I do think is pretty cool, I actually was uh, on, on the internet here uh, a couple weeks back looking into the actor who plays uh, Billy, and he's a, a gentleman named Brian Feldudo. And what I recently learned is that he is currently a professional life coach for the LGBTQ community. And you can actually find a pretty cool YouTube video about how him being painted as the gay kid in School of Rock made his teenage years very difficult, but in a way also made him 
extremely comfortable for who he was and who he, who he was publicly ready to uh, accept himself as. So it's kind of a kind of a cool turnaround story that that casting of of him as the you know, prepubescent gay kid that everyone kind of knew was gay, but no one's going to say it, uh, really allowed him to be himself in real life. And I thought that was a cool story. Yeah, this is it's getting snatched all around from us. That, 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 that's an awesome personal arc in his case. You're right. It, it does. That is a very, very tough situation. Obviously, what we can assume being a very conservative atmosphere yeah. of mm-hmm. Horace Green Elementary, you know, private school with the uniforms, etc., strict, you know, regulations, guidelines, whatever. You can't imagine that's very, you know, inviting to the LGBTQ well, youth. What? I, okay, I thought we were talking about like the actor himself. You can no, I go. well no, I just wanted to make sure you knew that like this wasn't an actual like school. this is a this, this is a different well, person. Don't, whether or not it's real, I'm yeah. very worked up about it. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's definitely that's a cool thing. So probably, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, to now he's probably doing a lot better than all these than a lot of these other child actors, you know. So it's good to see that he like persevered through that and that he's able to you know do something with the trauma of his youth. You know, um, you just snaps all around. You know, exactly. And uh, and like I said, I was just again. Well, I was just bringing it back to his actual character. In, yeah. Because because I do feel like I just feel so bad just because he's trying so hard and he's the only one who constantly gets his ideas shut down. Uh, the group he's got. No, because the group he's actually guess, got. No, he he has a sort of moment. I mean, does he copy copy Angus Young? Yes, but I mean, like, <laughs> is he is he just stealing ACDC? Yes, but he but Jack Black eventually sees the uniform. He has the kind of the cool moment. It's just like, well, if you said we're just wearing uniforms, and then he hands him the uniform. All right, I guess. So, like that's kind of his moment. I mean, because you're right. Pretty much everybody does have like their moment where they're like, they they get they get to you know take you know shine a little bit. I mean. Yeah, I guess I we can we can we can we can kind of bring up this debate. Who's your favorite background character? Ooh. Um, I may I ooh, I think I gotta go Gordon. Who's all right? Yeah, we're go. gonna yeah. get. But like he he probably has the out of all the background people, he probably has the best like shining moment where he has to refix all the lights and special effects to work for the show because they're doing a different song. And he, and he just kills it, you know? Yeah, I, he obviously he does. And like you say, he kind of is like bordering on that, um, bordering on the kind of like, oh, main, main kind of member of the band kind of background. But he does have that one uh, redemptive scene, which was really cool. Uh, Noah, do you have a favorite background character? I gotta go with my guy, uh, tough guy Frankie. <laughs> Security is really like a bullshit role in the band because I mean they were talking about having security detail at the actual venue, but it's a ten-year-old kid, the cat's already out of the bag. The principal knows that he's a fraud. There's nothing for them to do but sit back and just hope they don't get get caught any further. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The fact that, like you say, one, he is he he's adding his level of security to the battle of the bands, which should have security there. Yeah. Uh, and then also just his, him him taking charge of the scene where they're doing the audition, and he really kind of fronts that scene where they're doing the uh, you know they're, they're doing the recording of uh, of Jack Black of Dewey in, in the classroom. You know the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Actually, Santa Marina. Yes, actually, it's Santa Maria. But uh, yes, uh, I would say my favorite background character, and this is just strictly for one line, 
is Leonard Shortstop, who oh. has the balls when Dewey is going around asking, who's your favorite <laughs> musician? He has the balls in 2003, though, with a straight face, go to Dewey Finn, answer, hey, what's your favorite musician? Puff Daddy. <laughs> Which also, I love shout out. Shout out to Billy. He also has the saddest line in the movie when, you know, they finish when Dewey finishes bringing all the students up who are actually going to be playing the music and shortstop Leonard goes, so you mean we're not in the band? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) exactly right. That is that man. That is tough. He he does. He did like a scant few lines, but he really sells the hell out of them. Uh, another shout out to that team where they're going over their favorite musicians. Another point talking about Billy and just they're making him the, you know, the overt, obviously supposed to be gay, prepubescent yeah. kid. Oh, who do you like, musician? Liza Minnelli? Yeah. <laughs> Which is a joke no one under the age of 13 would possibly ever get. Yeah. Uh, let alone know who Liza Minnelli is. Yeah, you don't get that until you watch the rest of Development. Development. I mean, that's, exactly. that, that's when you first understand it. Which is still, I think, a couple of years away from being on the air at this point. Probably. Yeah, I think it's like 05. That makes sense. Exactly, as Lucille, too. Seminal role for... Oh, no, 2003. Really? So, same year. So, maybe they... maybe Okay, so they got released November 2nd, 2003. This was... Let's see. October 3rd. So, they they sort of predicted it. Exactly, the Liza-sons. Yeah, (laughs) The return of Judy Garland's uh, child. What? Liza Minnelli's Judy Garland's daughter. Really? Yeah, you didn't know that. I did not know that, and I thought I knew. I also did not know that. I, I thought I knew an above average amount about Liza Minnelli. Yeah, she's that's that's like the one thing I know about her. I know she's got to play Liza with the Z, but that was a Broadway play. Okay. Fox, so at your checkup last year, did uh, did your uh, pediatrician tell you that you were in the top quartile of Liza Minnelli fans? <laughs> <laughs> for my age, for yeah. my age group, uh, he definitely was just like he asked me some basic things, you know. <laughs> oh, what? How many Tony Awards did she win? You know, and I get, I gave a guess. Obviously, I didn't get the right answer, but I was in the ballpark. Um, so, so yeah, I definitely. <laughs> well, <laughs> just just answering like with a number instead of answering with who's Liza Minnelli that gets you in the top quartile. Exactly. I think, like, I think <laughs> that just yeah, shoots you. That's in, all like, you need. Exactly. Uh, I mean, School of Rock was pretty progressive uh, if you think about it. Uh, There's also the whole element of body positivity with Tamika being yeah. you know the backup singer who doesn't want to go and perform during the uh, during the audition. Because she's self-conscious about her weight, and it's actually a pretty beautifully captured uh, moment on screen there when Jack Black levels with her and says, "Like, look, like I'm chubby and I'm sexy, and people dig <laughs> me because I'm me." And I'm like, "Oh, that's that's pretty dope that they did that with a ten-year-old." But also, when you think about it, that she's a child actor, they had to write that and yeah. tell that ten-year-old that she's fat and has to say those lines. I'm like, that's a huge elephant in the room if you're telling a ten-year-old like. Yeah. All right, you're gonna go on that camera there, and, and you're gonna you're gonna say these lines. That is the dark side of casting. I mean, it doesn't make it any better. The fact that it's a child that you're specifically casting for, you can understand if it's an adult actor, and you're like, okay, we're trying to find someone who's portly. Obviously, like I said, it is tougher to kind of just be like, no, we need a big child here. Yeah. Um, well, that's but, the thing is, like, when they search it out, they literally they had to for that role. Literally, go like big child, like the, so. That's kind of possibly like, prefer. 
<laughs> so like imagine imagine having your parents just be like hey like like hey you you go for this one you know well like, that's the other sad thing is that you're right john the parents are the one who are driving the auditions a lot of time for the kids so they're reading these they see that it's for a big bone it probably says in parentheses preferably black <laughs> and they're just like oh my god they're telling their daughter you just fit this perfectly that that you know john what's the number one thing our podcast is Oh, we're ethical. We're ethical, and we're not going to be able to solve the dilemma of child acting in in this one podcast as much as we would like to. But at the very least, we can at the very least we can shine a light on it, talk about its problem problematic nature, and you know, yeah, exactly. Move on to further ethical consumption of one of our favorite films. Yeah, and I, I want to add to the fact that we're ethical. I think a better thing would be we're ethical, but willing to sell out. You know, I mean, oh yeah, we will sell out. Ethical, like, ethical uh, underscore by default. <laughs> <laughs> like we don't have anything to, we don't have a reason to be unethical which is know? true which is truly all ethical people are yeah. is people that haven't been given an opportunity to be unethical oh because that that <laughs> the moment big oil comes around wanting to sponsor the podcast i'll take a i will take a roundup sponsorship like that yeah exactly no qualms yeah. roundup you know <laughs> you know we're speaking this is for marlboro reds you know this is exactly you know, philip morris comes comes a call and we we are we are all ears yeah you know, after kind of wading those through those waters of talking about the problematic scene, not the problematic, but the problematic nature of child acting. But no, like you said, quite a heartwarming scene uh, when they're at the audition for Battle of the Bands. My number, this, you know, talking about this scene just reminded me, fueled my fueled my anger. I got, just got really hot about my number one pet peeve, which is the amount of time Jack Black spends trying to wrangle his two students. You're telling me that was all the time that was needed for them to, you know, say we're done with auditions. <laughs> this just brings up a host of questions. A, we're missing out on a lot of time there, potentially. Potentially it took like 30 minutes to wrangle these kids, which it was a small venue, probably not. B, which is that they, you know, which is that they got there incredibly late. You know, if they got there incredibly late and they're just like, oh, we're ending. In which case, that's on Jack Black. Come on. Like, you are literally planning for this for weeks, potentially months for this audition. And you get there late. Come on. Or the third potential, you know, the third potential explanation, which being they talked about how they filled up the card already. They're overbooked. Then they just had too many people. They should have had sign-up sheets for the auditions. Like, then this is the problem with the Battle of the Bands. This scene has bugged me and i really would be sad if someone here didn't validate my anger it's just a small part of this movie that came out 17 years ago it's also pretty ridiculous that the the manager or the guy in charge of the booking buys that whole line of shit about how they just came from the hospital <laughs> terminal every last one of them and then that's I mean, first of all, if we're talking about ethical podcasts, Jack Black is, is breaking rule one of ethics. Don't pose as a sick child. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Don't 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 have children lie lie about false sickness sickness so you can exploit them. On top of the already unethical issue of you pretending to be someone else. Yeah, and then stealing children away from school and education too doesn't help. You know, it's really a, a bad rap. I. By Dewey Finn throughout the multiple or throughout the majority of this film, I will say. Yeah, um, I mean that scene. You bring up a fair point, Will. Like that is that is it's pretty crazy to think that that like it was that just like that that they're already 
putting the stuff away. And also seems pretty crazy that they just wouldn't let these people go up for like two minutes and, you know, just go up and play. They literally only have one song. Yeah, like it's not that big a deal. They just want to show you like like if anything, you are missing out on an opportunity to, you know, have a possibly great band at your Battle of the Bands. Also, the second part, which is that when the guy who's the director of the Battle of the Bands decides, okay, we'll let them in, it, I, it's basically implied that they let them in without even auditioning. They don't even know if these kids can even like play like any music well. Yeah. So it's just like on a whim, this this event that this guy clearly cares a lot about and packs out this you know small music venue for, they're just like, oh, I'm sure, I'll take their word. Just like I'll take their word for it that they're terminally ill. I'll take their word for it that they're actually a band. Yes. And if we're going to keep going on about this scene, another <laughs> glaring plot hole I see here is the fact that he was able to fit virtually the entire class into the back of his van. <laughs> music I think there was only what the, the security guys, three or four kids that stayed back to like play school. And you know, you're telling me he got 17 kids and a full <laughs> band of music equipment and roadie equipment in the back of that van? I don't think so. <laughs> Good point. No, that has got to be one spacious van. You know, it doesn't look like much on the outside, but it's got to hold a shit ton on the yeah. inside. I'm, I'm, we're, we're talking about a minimum of at, uh, at least like 15 children like like that, that that's 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 enough in that van alone and plus like wouldn't the like music venue people be like pretty scared of this dude just showing up with like 15 kids in, in black a sketchy band? ass old van well, like i i don't know maybe maybe 2003 was a much more simpler time than we are thinking but you know i it's just all it's, it's none of it adds up none of it, none of but it. nobody does the math so i guess eh. Maybe this guy was too worried about them being overbooked. He couldn't even think about it. Like we said, this is what is kind of great about, you know, these scenes that I'm kind of not realizing is that these adults, you know, they are kind of acting stupid and they have to do let a lot of things slide. Like obviously, you know, the director of the battle of the bands lets all these you know plot holes, lets all these things slide. Roz letting all these things slide about yeah. Dewey. These things kind of, you know, they are stupid and they need to be there for the, uh, what's it called, for the plot of the movie to go forward. But it's not like in a Disney Channel or like, you know, outlandish way that it's just like, oh, these guys are really fucking idiots. Like, yeah. it, it's, it's, just, it's just some dupe, it's dumb, stupid stuff that like needs to happen, but isn't as just, it isn't as insulting of your intelligence as it could be. Yeah, and but the one thing I will say, so this I, I mentioned earlier, it was written by Mike White who plays Ned Schneebly. Yeah. Like, imagine going up and trying to tell Ned Schneebly that, like, oh, dude, this doesn't make sense. Like, he gets so sad, and then you'd feel bad. So I assume, like, they all just, like, just like, just, just go with it, you know? Like, just like, this, make him happy. This like this thing. Like, like cause just imagine telling that face, like, oh, like, you know, like, Really, the hold the kids in the van, just like what? <laughs> like no, shattering like, his confidence. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think maybe they just let it slide a little. I, I'm, I'm fine with them dusting that under the rug. Yeah. You're kicking that dust under mm-hmm. the rug. Uh, I guess last thing about this scene that being uh, the appearance by the Battle of the Bands uh, director, uh, I can't not think of him as the guy in Pulp Fiction. He's the guy who tastes the big Kahuna burger. He's uh, like who? He's, oh my god! Yeah, he's he the is, guy, isn't he? He's the guy who's like who always says what when Jules is like I ain't never heard of no place called what they got English and what you know so he's the guy he's the that's guy. awesome yeah. I always thought he looked like uh, Mark Wahlberg if Mark Wahlberg did like three years of juice cleansing <laughs> yeah and yeah exactly and maybe change change his haircut slightly uh, he he does have that kind of that kind of 
white guy face. Uh, but now whenever the classic white guy, face. the classic white guy face, uh, that now whenever I see the scene, I always think of just him getting shot in the leg and being, does Marcellus look like a bitch? <laughs> then why you try to fuck him like one? Yeah. 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 Cool. Sure. Yeah. Pulp Fiction. Could be on the podcast in our future. It could be. Could be. It's great. I don't want to. Great year in film. Great year in film. We already touched on it. I don't want to. I don't want to go into further. But have you noticed more and more the? Uh, maybe this is just in my circles, but the use of the term "gimp" on Twitter. I, I don't use Twitter, so you gotta. Okay. You gotta. Or maybe in the social media. I don't space. use the word "gimp" either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, now it looks like I'm shit out of luck. Yeah, here. really, really not up my lane, you know. So. Yeah, I suppose so. How do we feel about the kind of interaction between Roz and Jack Black? Uh, I think that there is like <clears throat> maybe I think they do a wise thing, which it could be. I don't know if too obvious, but maybe to give them a little bit like of romantic interest. Yeah, there's just like there's some sort of tension there that like I don't know like borders on romantic, but it just seems like Roz needing a friend and Jack needing to get these kids <laughs> to battle the bands. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely it's it's an interesting dynamic because they are they do they do get along pretty well throughout the film. I yeah. mean, they are they start to buddy up a little bit, but you know, I hate to bring it back to my guy, but my guy Spider. This may be where he's the <laughs> big antagonist. Where at the end of the film, he just starts like ridiculously hitting on, on Roz. Yeah, yeah, you're so hot. But uh, no, that's an I I I because it does seem at a point at points like especially when they go to the bar and stuff like that that oh maybe this is a romantic interest but like well also I guess when it's not it isn't but the one glaring thing and I won't even call it glaring but it just sticks out like a sore thumb is how she asked him for a ride to the parent teacher conferences yeah. which is just like how do you read that. Like, well, that's an impossible move to read. If you're, if you're doing, you don't know where to go with the chess pieces Ro- at that I mean, point. Roz loves the environment, you know? Carpooling's the oh. way of the future. <laughs> I don't know. In, in like, Dewey's car that gets no more than seven miles to the gallon. <laughs> <His> van. <laughs> um, no, yeah, yeah. I, I just, that, that was an, always an, an interesting thing. For me, thinking of, I do think that they play that kind of relationship very well in the sense that Roz truly feels like, you know, she is kind of just searching for a friend and, you know, maybe her latching on a little bit to Dewey can easily, can possibly be mistaken for kind of like romantic interest. But in reality, it's just, unfortunately, a sad picture of Roz where she, you know, she's just, as she says, she didn't want to be this. No, she did not. Yeah, it's just the parents and the pressure. Mm. Wow. I think it is kind of beautiful the way they kind of pull Roz's character kind of back and forth between, you know, wanting to, you know, fill these needs as this uptight principal who has everything under control, like very establishment, but also she's drawn to, you know, the welcoming and comfortability of like Dewey's methods, even though she, I think several times throughout the film, kind of scolds him for his unusual methods. Um, it's very clear, also indicated by the fact that she got hammered and, <laughs> and sang Stevie next. She does have that side to her, and she wants to be drawn kind of to the uh, anti-establishment, um, kind of more creative a- aspects of uh, the American education system. 
Mm, exactly. She wants to have that little affair with experimental learning. She's just like, <laughs> she, she's kind of like, she's a little bit kind of embarrassed. She's guilty. It's just like, oh, one time, one time I looked at pamphlets for a Montessori school and she feels dirty because she did that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and the, I think that's, I think that speaks to a couple things. One, I think it's a good point, Noah, talking about like how she kind of like, she has that kind of need. You can see someone who's kind of fun in there or someone who does want to show creativity, uh, show a little bit more freedom rather than rigidity of her school and <clears throat> her current principal style. The other thing I think is just, you know, someone we've touched on the magnetism of Dewey Finn, uh, just a really magnetic personality, not only to the children, but to, uh, but to obviously uh, principal principal Mullins, yeah, um, and Roz, Roz. But yeah, Roz. the magnetism comes off seemingly to everyone besides Sarah Silverman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even the even the parents start to come around at the end. Do you, do you gotta assume that it's because of some sort of sexual tension between him and Sarah Silverman's? You character? have to absolutely not assume that. I, I don't know. I think it's <laughs> well. Why is she dealing with it? Maybe it's just because. Her name in the film, maybe she just sucks. I guess she's got a stick up her ass. Patty Demarca just sucks. I don't know. Yeah, I just think. I mean, she does. Honestly, Sarah Silverman, you know, very funny woman, um, great comedian. She plays friend of the pod, friend, <laughs> friend. Of, exactly, we're shouting her out. We'll do, we'll, we'll do, we'll do some promos for her next <laughs> special. Um, but no, I feel like this is a unique character. When, when's the last time she played this kind of just like uptight, stuck up? You know. Pardon my French uh, listeners, but bitch, like uh, she does a great job in this role as the dominant. She's so one dimensional the entire film, and she really doesn't deviate at all from that character. And she, uh, it's, I mean, knowing Sarah Silverman just from her stand up and her personality, like it must have been really hard to kind of play that role. Like it's so not her. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I am certainly impressed, and like the the, the both her being uptight and also incredibly domineering over uh ned uh which is just so sad but both of them play their characters to a t you know a great juxtaposition noah of sarah silverman playing someone playing a character that seems at odds with her actual personality and unfortunately what we can only assume from mike white is playing someone (laughs) who seems very in line with his personality well uh, so there's like so the one other thing i mean he he also wrote uh, Nacho Libre. So that's oh, I didn't know cool that thing. I, I just found that out now. But one other cool thing is that he is a part, or he has been a part of the Amazing Race on CBS with him and his father. Wait, what? Oh, I feel like have you told me this before? Mom, our mom watched on the, Survivor. I'm pretty. Sure. Wait, was he on was Survivor? A, I think he might have been like a runner-up on Survivor. I, it could have been the Amazing Race, but I know. I know it was one of those shows, and I think he went, like, real far, like, yeah. almost won. Yeah, he went really far into, like, The Amazing Race. It's him and his father, and, like, I'm pretty sure, like, I've, I've like, watched, like, one episode of The Amazing Race, you know, because it's a show that I, I think I would like. I, I was wrong, you know. It's not really that interesting, but. Really? Yeah. I thought, I, I, maybe maybe I caught me at a bad time, but, you know, well, it's, he, he pretty much plays. He appears to, I, I see him in the show as Ned Schneebly. Like, he's still Ned Schneebly. Yeah. I don't know. For me, Amazing Race, and we were never an Amazing Race family by any stretch of the imagination. I always thought, I liked the kind of mental aspect of it when they do the mental games. Um, but I, you're right, not really seminal. We're not a survivor uh, kind of... You know, we like real survival shows, like Dual Survival. Like Dual Survival or Naked, Naked and Afraid. Naked and Afraid. Yeah. Naked and Afraid. There we go. That is, uh, which is something I've been really disappointed 
and not seeing as much of when I've been back here in quarantine is usually, usually our dad is crushing naked and afraid episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by this point, at this point, it's just whenever we watch it, it's immediately like we have to have opinions on every single move they do. Yeah. It's just like you, that's the wrong one. Nope. Nope. What are you doing? Why are you drinking that water? Stop drinking that water. I know this is just, where is the risk reward management? Why did neither of them get a hatchet or a machete for this, for this challenge? (laughs) Like, Like you brought a pot and a fire starter. Like how are you going to, survive like no i will say the more i watch that show the more i believe i can do it like just give me give me like a month to prepare and i and i will be ready to go are you talking now what would be your biggest asset in the show my biggest asset and what archetype would you fill because no if you've never watched the show which i don't know if you have or haven't but there are only like five types of people that free spirit the the free spirit the crazy guy there's the the free spirit the crazy guy the fitness junkie or the ex-military person there's like four people that are on yeah that's about it so you um, fit into none of them. I, I would I would relabel myself as a free spirit and, <laughs> and I would go in start learning how to make, how to make your own like jerky in the wild. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, yeah, that was never up my alley, but uh, yeah, Bear Grylls was more in my vein, and I like Bear to Grylls. think of him as my kind of Descartes of the wild. Incidentally, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about surviving in nature. I've never had to, so yeah. uh, until that day comes, I'm gonna keep my piss in the toilet. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a problem for future Noah if that ever happens. You know? Mm. I'll tell you, if I'm ever stranded in the Gobi Desert, <laughs> I, I, the first thing I'm doing is not crawling into a camel car. <laughs> that's, that's not the first, second, or third thing I'm doing. <laughs> that seemed very Bear Grylls-esque. Mm-hmm. Also, oh. are you planning on going to the Gobi Desert anytime soon? I feel like that's pretty I specific. I nice this time of year. Hey, very true, very yeah, true. Right. Gobi Desert. I'm trying to think of what I would bring to Naked and Afraid. What, what what's your go, what would bring? What would your tool be? Like what's what's the well, tool my tool? Bring? Yeah, what do you bring? Well, I'm not really good with a hatchet or a machete. I'm bringing a hatchet um, just so that the person thinks I'm cool. I would bring this is a cop out because it requires no use to me. I bring the iodine like drops that they use to purify oh. water. Because yeah. it's just it doesn't require me to use it at all besides yeah. drip drip drip. <laughs> no, or the uh, another good one is the mosquito net. Oh, the mosquito kind of doubles as a fishing net. Oh my! God. I think I bring that what just because. What about a couple of modium tablets? Some some anti diarrheal. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very well versed on, on plants of the wild, but I imagine I'd get hungry and I'd get curious, and I'd probably eat something that would bring on vicious Montezuma's revenge. <laughs> yeah. What did you bring? Oh, I brought this. Oh. I brought I brought Dramamine. Come on, like what are we doing? <laughs> well, that's the one, that's the one thing now is that yes, like I think for all of us that would seem like an incredibly good thing to bring. But the psychos that go on Naked Afraid are just taking the diarrhea as a loss. <laughs> like they're writing that one off. They're just like we know, that's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. You can't just go in the wild for twenty seven days and assume this isn't gonna happen. Yeah. Like we're just gonna have to eat this bullet. Twenty one days. Twenty one. Twenty one. Forty on XL. Forty on XL. But you also get your groups. Yeah, which is that's the other thing is that it becomes a and this I promise this will be one of the last things <laughs> I say about naked and afraid. But it, as this know. shifts into a naked and afraid podcast, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's just like it turns into when they do the XL, there are like certain like pods of people all scattered around this wide area, and it turns into more of an like an anthropological study, yeah, uh, a sociological and like anthropological test, and you really find out who the mental midgets are. Yes, because they'll break because they'll they'll break up the sexes too. So they'll do like one group of all guys and like one group of all girls, and they'll do like two girls, one guys, and just like throw it around just to see the different mashups and how they really affect the psyche. That's when the that's when the human condition really comes forward. Yeah.
the human condition. Yes, trying just, to segue. Just like Dewey Finn, you know, psychologically, you know, conditioning Roz throughout the film to get his will. Trying to, <laughs> sit, try, trying to make my way back to School of Rock. But, I mean... Okay, well, here. I don't think you have anywhere. I don't think you were going anywhere necessarily. Let's say I did, but I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, you. you were, that was that, that was it. That was the sidewalk ended there, John. Yeah. No, I, I think I could go somewhere. You'd be blowing steam. I want to talk about another interesting relationship, which is something we don't get a lot of, but I think is very central and leads to one of the greatest scenes in the movie, which might be someone's pick for greatest scene. I don't want to steal anyone's thunder, but it is the relationship between Zach Mooneyham and his dad. Uh, it's something that's oh, only yeah. touched upon in a couple of times, but I think it's one of the things that really gives um, this movie its legs. And I think it's something that's uh, it's a link later kind of classic. Uh, if you've seen some of his movies, I've only seen Dazed and Confused and Boyhood along with, um, excuse me, along with School of Rock. Deep Tracks Only. Deep Tracks Only. Yeah, exactly. obviously. No, but still, uh, those are the only ones I've seen. Yeah. And all of them have some aspect of a father-son relationship. Yeah. Uh, in, in what's it's called, in Dazed and Confused, it's a little more of a metaphor for Pink and uh, the football coach, so it's not really his quite his dad, but that's there. Uh, in Boyhood, uh, uh, what's called the the main protagonist, I forget his name, is the child of divorce, so he has to go through a couple of father figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, the main father-son relationship is between Zach Mooneyham and his father, his domineering father. Uh, I think one of the real hearts and, like I said, leg, it gives this movie legs is that small kind of moment that just shows... One, it shows his relationship. It shows Dewey Finn not just as someone who wants to have fun with kids, but as someone who wants to show them the joy in art, which is music. And really, you know, it leads to the mending of that relationship. One that you can see going down like, you know, unfortunately, you can see going down like a dead poet society-esque kind of turn in in terms of father-son relationship. But that was one that... Sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I had to go there. Um, but that's one that I think that I keep coming back to on rewatches and always is heartwarming in a movie that really is just a feel-good movie. And, you know, John, I'm, 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 I'm going to leave that very long, open-ended, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> open-ended soliloquy to you. I, what, what about the relationship uh, do you think? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. indubitably. <laughs> indubitably. Um, no, it's definitely a very cool throughout because you have this sort of towards the beginning when Jack Black or when Dewey Finn gives him all like the music to listen to. Yeah. You have the scene where he's going in school and you see Zach and his father yelling, telling him about how none of this music, none of that school first, then you can play your guitar, stuff like that. So you have, you have Dewey Finn coming in and trying to, you know, get Zach to get out of his shell, you know, and, you know, become his true self. And then, and then toward, obviously at the end of the film where, he is his dad is front row and he's like talking about how that's my son and stuff like that. It's just a it's a little tearjerker that's very enjoyable. It's a nice little side plot throughout the entire the film. One of the great quotes uh, from Lawrence's dad: "Your son is very skilled." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, that was yours. <laughs> uh, that was a very proud moment for Zach's father, and I mean, it's very clear that most of the parents of Horace Green really kind of echo uh, the times of that generation and seem to reinforce, um, you know, this private prep school environment that is seeking to produce compliant social subjects who possess economically viable job skills. Mm. And they're really not interested in their, in their children to be, you know, 
taking on these more creative uh, self-discovery projects that Dewey Fend is is pushing on on the student body, and that, that much is very clear in the parent parent teacher conference when you know they're all jumping down his throat about uh, you know his rock influence on, on their children, and you know they're just berating him as the police are waiting outside. <laughs> Which don't get us wrong, obviously they had a right to be mad there with the fact that their kids have been learning nothing but rock for the past two months. Yes, but it is. How is that the first time that 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 concern was being <laughs> surfaced? I mean, I some of these private school parents would have been in there on day one to watch his first lesson. Exactly. And also the fact that like Dewey is basically telling 20 kids, oh, don't lie to your parents. And all of them keep that secret for like two months. Some solid kids yeah, right there. that's a pretty big plot hole too. I mean, you know, he, it takes him a while to gain the trust of the students. Yeah. And I know 50% of that class is narking on Dewey from day one. <laughs> Though, okay. though you might not know, it's possible that one of the things Mullins has instilled in a Horace Green elementary uh, education is uh, uh, a huge no snitching policy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, snitches do get stitches, stitches at Horace, at Horace Green. Green. Well, I think this also adds to the point. That, I mean, the one one thing about that is like I feel like for the majority of these kids, like it's only one parent that shows up to these uh, meetings. So you know, maybe it, it also just highlights you know lack of parental guidance in these children's lives and really Jack Black, Dewey Finn plays a role here that really He's everyone's dad. Yeah, he steps into a <laughs> or maybe to, to play cool a role uncle. for a lot of these a lot of these kids gives them adult, you know, inspiration. So maybe maybe that's where it is as well. Maybe this is more yeah. of a maybe this more of a look inside of the parents and see how bad of a job they did to not <laughs> know that their kids were getting taught by Dewey Finn, you know? A lot of a lot of questions uh, definitely come to the forefront when you kind of peel back the layers yeah. of this onion. But uh, this I, onion keeps like, more layers and layers. You know, exactly. the more you the more you peel back. Um, but I think the great irony, uh, Zach, or, sorry, Noah, in the point that you made about like these parents wanting them to these you know these economically viable students in the sense that they want to you know they want all they care about is that kind of success. They want to go to good schools, you know, get good jobs, become sound members of society and that kind of very rote and, you know, in a way kind of boring uh, sense is that the music that uh, Dewey is instilling in these kids is likely what those parents grew up on. And at one point they were in those same shoes and they were listening to the Ramones, the who, you know, whoever and Led Zeppelin uh, in some cases, Motorhead. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, uh, so it, it is the great irony that I think, one of the reasons why the parents might have kind of gotten brought back around at the end is because Dewey was kind of instilling in his kids uh, that music that uh, the parents were brought up on. And it reminds the parents when they were young and they maybe wanted to rebel and they wanted, you know, to be rock stars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think also kind of <laughs> to the tune of, the the whole demeanor of the parents and the education that Horace Green is pushing on them, uh, you know, you see early on in the film uh, the classroom chart of you know rewards, uh, yeah. gold stars, and demerits, and Dewey Finn, totally anti-authority, anti-establishment, is quick to rip that shit up and tell them there will be no stars, there will be no grades, we're going to have recess and no structure, mm-hmm. and. and some of the students go nuts at this and recite, but it was very clear that that was something that the student body was not comfortable with. And <laughs> breaking, breaking conventions was not something that those kids were used to. So, I mean, the whole project-based learning that Dewey 
brought to the classroom really opened a lot of doors for these students, I think, academically. And a great early 2000s scathing review of MTV is kind of put in the forefront into Dewey's anti-establishment rants in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is true. Like, it's Dewey's there to kind of break down the structures that they've kind of become familiar with. And, you know, you can look at it one way as being like, obviously, even when I was a kid, I was just like, oh my God, like, what are they doing? Like, what's he doing? Like, this is outrageous and stuff like that. Then when you take a step back, it's, you know, it's in a, in a certain sense liberation, if you want to take oh, it that yeah. far. I mean, I mean, as <clears throat> much as this movie is a take on what people do and when you're just shrouded in debt. You know, it is, it does also just come back to eventually just, you know, sticking it to the man. That's what it is. That's what it's all about. Exactly. Singing about the legend of the rent. The legend of the rent. Oh, <laughs> uh, I can I, I think there's an alternate version of this universe where Dewey stays in no vacancy and he spent the entire time trying to convince them to sing a song about rent. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's way hardcore, you know? Exactly. Um, let me see. I, 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 all right, so I, I wanted to test the waters. I mean, I don't think you guys have seen this movie, but I have a theory. You know, I've, I've been just talking about it. It's come to mind that High Fidelity is a prequel to School of Rock. Mm-hmm. And for those for the YouTube that don't know, so the so two of the main characters in High Fidelity yes. are Joe Cusack and, and Jack Black. Yes, Jack Black plays a he works at the record store, which the main character John Cusack. Joan Cusack's brother yes. works at, and he's just a music junkie, and he loves Ballroom. hard rock and stuff like that. And at the end of the movie, it's sort of him joining a band. Oh, okay. And throughout the movie, Joan Cusack also plays a very similar character. And so I just think maybe some some sort of way Richard Linklater is thinking, you know, maybe maybe you know what, get these two people in here. High Fidelity, a sequel. Yeah, that band that Jack Black joins potentially it becomes No Vacancy, it and that's become where No yeah, Vacancy. That's where that's where the gears start turning. I like that, John. I like the thinking of the extended Jack Black universe. Yeah, exactly. Because High Fidelity is probably Jack yeah, Black. Way deep into the Reddit archives. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. John's over here on page six when the rest of us are scrolling the top. Exactly. exactly. I mean, maybe maybe hate redditors out there. Maybe maybe this is the beginning of something. But you know, I mean, so they they love their theories about film, but. I mean, just because uh, High Fidelity is Jack Black's breakout role. I mean, it's his first, I think it's pretty much his first ever time coming into like a pretty big role. He yeah. kills it. I, it's the, I, you even have like the iconic gif of him from High Fidelity mm-hmm. where he's like jamming out. So I don't know. I, it's another great Jack Black film that I thought deserved to mention when talking about the school of rock. And you know, it's all about rock and roll. Yeah. And I think it's interesting seeing charting a Jack Black. I would almost call Jack Black's kind of career obviously a great acting career really in the cultural consciousness i think school of rock is something that a lot of people associate with him probably one of his best known um you know roles uh and i like to think of his his acting career as kind of being and seeming sporadic in a way uh because if you look at some of the roles when i think of jack black that i associate with obviously school of rock for other people of our age uh, Nacho Libre, uh, and then of another generation, I guess still our generation, him voicing Poe in Kung Fu Panda, huge. Uh, and then the next one I think of after that, uh, the next big one I think of that after that has to be Tropic Thunder, uh, which actually came out in the same year as Kung Fu Panda, which is crazy. Great, uh, great 2008. That's for a Jack great Black. 2008 for Jack Black. And obviously, 2008's the year that's putting Jack Black's grandkids to college. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's getting, that's what's getting those kids through Middlebury. Um, but 
Anyways, I think that, and now, obviously, in this next kind of generation of fans, I guess he'd be no, most known for the Jumanji movies, um, uh, which he starred in Oof. the past couple of years. I haven't seen them. I'm not going to pass. I've, 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 I've watched, like, an hour of one because, you know, The Rock. Because of The Rock. Yeah, obviously, I'm going to throw that on. But And it, it wasn't bad. It was all right. You know? oh, from from what I saw, not That's bad. Good. I'll take your word for it. Exactly. <laughs> And maybe and maybe give it an hour of a watch. Also underappreciated Jack Black role, The Holiday, the the famous rom com with Cameron Diaz, Kate Winslet, Jack Black, and Jude Law. Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing's coming to mind for The Holiday. <laughs> oh, I'd never heard it until this year where I watched it, but it quite good. quite enjoyed it. You know, yeah. Obviously, and one of our favorite roles of Jack Black is his role in Walk Hard, oh. the Dewey Cox story, <laughs> as Paul McCartney of the Beatles, yeah. uh, one of the best Paul McCartney impersonations ever. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, Jack Black's career, I find it crazy how very kind of, I don't know, I think of him as just a classic comedic actor, actor of this kind of 2000s, late mid-2000s period, early 2000s also. Um, and his career really is, you know, just kind of spurs between like five great touch, yeah, I get touchstone roles in, uh, if you think of it, if I think of it, I think of the roles where I just think he is phenomenal. Tropic Thunder. Kung Fu Panda, uh, School of Rock, uh, High Fidelity, and then that fifth one, I you could like kind of throw up in his roles in the ta- Tenacious D movies yeah, Tenacious or in Nacho. He even Red. makes a pretty great anchor. His scene in Anchorman is a pretty memorable Anchorman scene. As Obviously, well. his scene in Anchorman is awesome. As the motorcyclist, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That was the only thing I love. What do you love? I love a good glass of scotch. Uh, Another Baxter here. This beer, this burrito is delicious, but it sure is filling. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I was just kind of, I was just kind of thinking of that as someone who is so vivid of a character as Jack Black, and not having too, too many like memorable seminal roles, but the ones he do, did do are phenomenal. I uh, know. Are you a big Kung Fu Panda fan? Oh, I'm. I've been learning the mushy finger holes since <laughs> it came out. What what definitely could have like on the first couple of viewings of the trailer, you could easily write it off as being another stupid animated movie with Jack Black just because he's a great voice actor. Uh, and then after watching it, it was just a really really touching movie. And I think one of his oh, the first ones, yeah, the first oh, one, the first one's awesome movie. Uh, I know, I love it. I haven't seen the third one though. You know, I haven't seen the second. I uh, I think I might have seen the second one at some point. I saw the second. <clears throat> Second one good? Second one's pretty good. Not as good as the first one, but, you know, it's pretty good. Anyways, I, I think it's interesting to look back at uh, Jack Black's career and charting it. And obviously, I mean, Tropic Thunder, his role, uh, I think almost kind of underappreciated uh, mm-hmm. in the film, uh, just because he's not in blackface or <laughs> or playing a mentally ill uh, <laughs> playing playing someone mentally ill uh, just kind of flies, under, Jack flies under the radar uh, but also it's great especially at the end of that movie um, you know with the heroin or is that heroin I think it's the heroin scene well yeah it's the poppy plants yeah right? the poppy plants yeah. yes uh, no yeah he has a, I mean Tropic Thunder is definitely I think it's a pretty underappreciated movie you know because it's uh, great Steve Coogan Great Steve Coogan. I mean, you have great Steve Coogan. Obviously, the entire cast from RDJ, Steve, or no. Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller. Brandon T. Jackson. For those Is he know. Al Pacino? Yeah, he's Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> he's also <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> Booty sweat. <laughs> 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 opportunity to uh, advertise Booty 
sweat. <laughs> when, he, when he's in the when he's in the uh, when he's in the forest or whatever, uh, and the, obviously McConaughey and Cruz. Yeah, McConaughey, Cruz, Jay Baruchel, even Hater. Oh, Hater does play an Hater. early an early. Danny McBride, that was role. Yeah, Danny possibly McBride. a pre Eastbound and Down Danny McBride or right around that time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, just a real star-studded star star Exactly, as the pyro guy. Isn't Josh? Who's who's the guy? Is it Josh Brolin or whatever the guy who plays no, the uh, uh, the old guy? Don't know. It's Nick Nolte. No, Nick Nolte. Yeah, Nick Nolte. Did you just call him Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. Okay, okay. should I know this man? Okay, he's he's got some awards to his name. I should probably know this guy. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, star-studded cast. Um, we have waxed poetic for a while. I think now it's time to wind down and uh, go over favorite scenes of the movie. Uh, as is the usual order, we start with our guest. He gets to pick the first favorite scene. John, you are Mariana Rivera. Play Enter Sandman. Enter Sandman. Yeah, and and you will close this out. Uh, so. Noah, uh, I'm going to start with you. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of great scenes. Uh, Richard Linklater's directing feels especially distinctive in a couple of these scenes. Um, there, There's no shortage here to choose from your favorite moments. Uh, what would be one that stands out? You know, maybe not even your favorite all-time scene, but your favorite scene as of right now, because I think that's something with a lot of movies that we review. You know, it might not be your favorite. Your favorite scene changes a lot because there are so many good ones. But what's one you want to talk about right now is catching your eye. I mean, I, if I'm going to give you seven inning quality start, I, I got to go with the low-hanging fruit that is the final battle of the band scene. All I right. mean, for those who haven't seen the film, the movie's worth watching for that one scene alone. Yep. And Face melting. just seeing you know, all of their hard work come to fruition um, and seeing that turning point of the parents like starting to be proud of their children for their artistic expressions and also just seeing them fucking rock and, and really good quality music to end me on the final 10 minutes of the movie is absolutely awesome and every time I watch that scene I have you know, an ear to ear grin on my face watching them rock out
great moments when Jack Black actually hits the solo that he verbally describes earlier in the movie, the rick a dig a dig a dig a dig a dig Incredible. Uh, Tamika's lyrics when she belts out, well, you know, I was on and on a roll. Uh, incredible. Uh, what the, what's this called? Jack Black, today's assignments. <laughs> and they all say, kick some ass. And the parents are like, whoa. <laughs> um, great. And then also part of that scene, which I think is one of my favorites, is the uh, the Jack Black pump-up speech before, which ends... Uh, which uh, that, Not that one. That that one ends in Let's, let's Melt Some Faces. Uh, <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, that, uh, that From front to bottom, you can't pick a better scene uh, in the movie, Noah. Yeah, I, I, I knew it was the same <laughs> bet, but, you know, first time on the podcast, I think... <laughs> I'd kind of mail this one in. <laughs> <laughs> and this one we've spoken a lot of, obviously, that your son is very skilled, quote, great. Uh, uh, principal Mullins, I'm actually the principal of the School of Rock. And the security guy are just being like, right on. <laughs> <laughs> I also love that. Miranda Cosgrove kind of gets her, uh, her, her kind of coming of age moment where now she is going to be a professional agent. She's... She's uh, negotiating with all these big shot music execs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Handing out the cards and stuff. Like, who's the manager of this band? It's me. Actually, I am. (laughs) She goes full big business. Exactly. She does. Uh, And then that, uh, I don't want to step on your scene if this is your scene, but that also moving from the vote for no vacancy, the absolute booing that the boobers that come up for no vacancy, and then the encore of ACDC, which feels like it's been, the whole movie has been leading to an ACDC scene when they sing, um, what's, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Pete's uh, uh, right right into the credit scene perfectly with the after school music program. Yep, movie's, movie's almost over. But we're still on screen. I thought that was just a School of Rock song. You know, I didn't think that was just ACDC. Wait, actually? No. Oh, okay. Good. Maybe um, a little. Yeah. Okay, obviously great. I, I could, It's funny how that scene is probably like 10 minutes long, but I could talk about it for an hour. But uh, I love it. So many good parts. Uh, an obvious scene, but that doesn't make it any less great. Uh, I'll go next. Uh, I will be the setup man, the yeah. uh, Carlos Marmol <laughs> yeah, to your Carrie Wood. Um, <laughs> what? Carrie Wood to my Ryan Dempster. No, Carrie Wood closed in two thousand eight. I know. I was just trying to think of a setup man. Anyways, the uh, my favorite scene, one I alluded to earlier, but uh, it, it is another one that gets me like grinning ear to ear every time I see it. Is uh, all I have to say is two words: step off. Uh, step off is one of my favorite scenes when oh, yeah. this comes right after the scene we talked about with Zach getting kind of berated by his uh, dad about, okay, like you have to do all your classical homework. You have to do all your homework, do your classical guitar, and then you can listen to rock, but only that. And like, and he doesn't get it. Uh, it's this moment of genius that you see come over Jack Black's uh, come like, you know, over his eyes. He's like, Oh, I've got an idea. 
the entire scene of him basically saying like, what really makes you mad and trying to like stick it to the man and stuff like that. Uh, and talking about how rock isn't about getting good grades. It's about making a statement and like I said, sticking it to the man. And then him really goading Zach and be like, what do you do if a bully's all up in your face? Uh, he's just like, I don't know. He's just like, no, come on. A bully's shoving you around. What do you do? He's just like, you got to take charge. What does he do? He's all up in your grill. What do you say? And Zach says, step off. And then Jack Black, <laughs> and they all sing. And then he starts going into the song with, with you know, low-key Freddie in the back doing a nice drum beat. Do I day, day after day, you're going to turn me into a robot. <laughs> uh, that's a pure, fun scene. It's just so incredible. Uh, it, you know, you see all the kids are truly enjoying it. It's one of those scenes you see in a movie where you can tell the cast is having fun making it. And you can tell this is something Jack Black loves to do. Like these are the kind of songs he loves to do a la Tenacious D, etc. Uh, he is just having so much fun. The kids are smiling, enjoying. You get Zach Mooneyham, someone who's kind of steely reserved, kind of crack a smile and enjoy. And also, like we, like I think it was either you or Noah said, Bill, the Billy line is also in this one where he's just like, "Who do you hate?" And then <laughs> you're tacky, and I hate you. <laughs> Jack like, yeah, Jack starts like, "Come on, we've already had enough. We already told me all." He's like, "No, you're tacky, and I hate you." All right, you see me after class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that, that's, uh, it's school of rock being a very rewatchable film. Um, that's one of those scenes where if like, if I catch the beginning of the movie on TV, I'm like, Oh, well, I obviously have to watch till we get to the step offs. Yeah. Um, that's definitely my pick. Yeah. No, two good picks, two iconic parts of the movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you sort of got to a scene that's like Jack Black jamming with the kids. Cause originally yeah. I, th originally I was maybe thinking of doing like the original time where he's like doling out like uh, different, like jobs. Everybody gives Zach the guitar when they're doing, um, uh, when smoke on out, the water. Yeah. Well, he, he gives him smoke on the water. gives like touch me to Lawrence on the keyboards, like all the different like stuff, but because he gives some sun or, you know, he does give uh you're right. Yeah. Well, he gives like three. He does. He also gives uh, is smoke on the water. Smoke yeah, on right. the water. Yeah. And, but I think I got to go with, his interaction in the cafeteria with Lawrence, where oh, uh, which I think oh, is just a great scene. Where it's just like Lawrence, it's, so, I'm, it's such I'm, a great. I, scene. I'm glad that you said this because I didn't. I we totally forgot to go over this yeah. moment, so I'm so glad you picked it. Yeah, and like it's like it's well, it's just such a great scene in many ways because it's it's very similar to the Tamika scene where it's just like oh, like like how could I ever be in a rock band? And then you just have Jack Black, like you could be the ugliest sad sack on the planet, but if you're in a rocking band, you're the cat's pajamas, the bee's knees, like <laughs> like just like like the bee's knees. Yeah, the bee's knees. You'd be the most popular guy in school, and then they just go forward that into the handshake, which is just like a great scene. I think him explaining like let's rock tonight. Mm -hmm. Give me the fingers. Let's rock tonight. Mm -hmm. Slap it, shoot it, kaboot it. Yeah. It's classic. Yeah. I, had, I, I just think that whole progression. I also, I, Lawrence is probably my favorite member of the band. I think he's just rocking throughout on the boards the entire time. So I exactly. think that's, that's really him. And he arguably might have the quote of the movie with you're a fat loser and you have body odor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. body odor. I mean, that, that is phenomenal. Uh, and also when he sticks up for Dewey in the scene when the kids, after Dewey gets caught, uh, when he, like Lawrence is the one who sticks up for Dewey yeah. when Freddie's kind of like, uh, Freddie's bad mouthing him and you see Lawrence stand up for himself and stuff like that. And that's, you know, another great transformation. He obviously is one of the most fun characters to follow in the film. Uh, 
Yeah, the, talk, talking about that though, really, Freddy's like the one character where he's just like an asshole the entire movie. Like he doesn't really have a transformation or anything. He's just sort of plays the role of asshole kid. Well, that's the thing is that Jack Black has to. He sees this kind of like attitude. He sees this kind of fire in Freddy. You realize, you know, I can't tame it. I just gotta, <laughs> I gotta juice like a tiger. You know? Exactly. You just gotta, you gotta use that energy in the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's the, uh, the judo. The judo doing know? the judo moves. Use you against. I know this is a well. this is an audio medium, but we're doing judo moves. We are moving our hands in circles the way you would ways, as a judo, you know, just to reverse the momentum. Use their momentum against themselves. Exactly. Exactly. For a rocking band. Uh, I'm a student of the art. <laughs> um, back to Lawrence's handshake. You didn't grow up in the early 2000s. If you didn't. You know, try that handshake out with your friends at some point. Uh, iconic moment. And like you said, really also kind of fits in with the Tamika. Mo- the ta- is it Tamika? Tamika. Tamika. I get mixed up with Tamika and Tamina. Um, the Tamika moment as being just such a heartwarming kind of instance of Jack Black. You know, you think of this guy who's just there to win battle of the bands and just have them goof off. But he's someone who's actually teaching them life lessons. Which He is- transforms the kids, but the kids also transform him well jack black's quote i've i've touched your kids and i think they touched <laughs> me too um yeah uh obviously a great scene i'm so glad you brought that up because lawrence's character we didn't talk about too much but definitely uh he deserves some his his moment yeah also great great moment of him playing touch me really kicked yeah. off my love of the do song do touch do me i hope lawrence touch me baby and then jack black gets into it oh it's a yeah. great, it's it's a great lawrence scene. is good at piano um <laughs> i hope he's doing okay in the, in the realm of child actor it's always tough to i can actually tell you a little bit about him oh here on my on my internet machine okay. i'm learning that robert Sy uh did not School of Rock was the only film he ever appeared in. Thank God. And on top. Went on the darkness, got very involved in music theater, and actually made an appearance on America's Best Dance Crew. Whoa. As a dancer? As a dancer. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, he like John. You're right. He got out ahead on top. Yeah, you, you finish on top. You know that after your Lawrence in School of Rock, you can't get much better than that than in Hollywood. So you know he he is one of the crew members of the Instant Noodle Crew. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Instant Noodle Crew. Well, I know how I'm spending my next week looking up Instant Noodle Crew videos. Like, I, I get. There you go. I get like that's kind of cool. like why would you name yourself that like if I if you just search up instant noodle instant noodles are just gonna come up like like come on tough like, to get saturation on Google yeah, come on yeah I'm really sure he is the only Horace Green alum who went on to an Ivy League school from that class oh wow. good for wow really showed him all up again definitely did show there you, him there up. you go Robert Sy there you go Robert Sy we hope you're well. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> Rob. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, we'd love to reach reach out. Uh, so follow nice. us on at Into the Foxhole Pod. Uh, love to have you on the pod. Love to day. have you on the pod one day. Uh, I really I'm hope you're to doing. Throw a GoFundMe link in, in the bio for our for Joey Gaddis Jr. Who plays uh, Zach Mooney, <laughs> who unfortunately has had his legal woes in yeah. the past year. Uh, he was busted on four separate occasions for stealing guitars from Sam Ash Music Store. Uh, to fuel a crippling drug habit. 
Um, you would just, I mean, you have to assume after like the second time you get caught from the same place, you gotta like change up your, your memo, you know, you gotta start going somewhere else. Probably the drugs that are doing the talking at that (laughs) point. Well, like I'm just saying, like you realize like maybe stealing guitars from this place isn't my best job. You know, maybe stealing other things from other places should be my way to go. Try stealing the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Take out the middleman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Noah, don't tempt us to put up a GoFundMe for School of Rock kids. <laughs> <laughs> so we can buy him anyway, guitars that he can sell. If you're listening, we hope you're well and on your way to recovery. Yes. And we'd love to have you on the pod, but not if it's at the expense of your mental health, sir. Uh, we really do hope you're getting your yeah. well. We're, we're rooting for you. We're, we're on Team Zach Mooneyham on this one. Team you know. Zach Mooneyham. It, it's almost like the uh, the Twilight Team Edward versus Team Jacob. You're either Team Zach or Team Freddy. Yes. Yeah. Firmly on Team Zach. I feel like Freddy probably on Team Zach. Oh, you're you're Team Zach guy. Uh, yeah, I, I I mean I do admire Freddy a lot, but he's he's just kind of a shit. Mm. I mean, obviously, uh, I think that I think that I think that Team Zach is is the level headed call for a lot of uh, individuals. Did you see the video? I think it was four or five years ago of the band doing a reunion uh, show. Oh, that video is awesome! Yeah, yeah they did the final song. They did a reunion. They brought their yeah, which is great. It's great to see that you know, even though they probably were all each individually going through their uh, own demons. demons. Yeah, yeah, they got together for one rock and show. I mean, they they probably would have been pissed because Jack Black's probably just living it up, and then they all come in and they're like, "You screwed me over. <laughs> it wasn't for your movie. <laughs> I could have had a normal <laughs> childhood." <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, I hate to leave it on that kind of uh, a somber note, but uh, it is. A, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, though, it, it is, is bedtime for some of us civilians. Exactly, uh, some of us, uh, some of us are having trouble burning the midnight oil. Um, but I mean, it is—it's an important thing to, I guess, remember about the movie. Anyway, uh, Noah, gosh, <laughs> I mean, it is. Gosh, we can just remember it for you know being a great movie. But that's what we've done. And yeah. Noah, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is something that even before John and I knew we were doing a podcast, before we even did any of this, this is something you and I have definitely talked about. Uh, movie a classic movie whenever it's on we got to watch it uh incredible stuff love going over it and it's just a movie of our kind of generation our kind of post-millennial pre-gen z kind of uh whatever kind of generation that we're in uh this is a classic movie that we loved and uh i I more than love talking about it with you well, thank you guys both for having me on. This was a lot of fun. Great vibing with both of you. And uh, I hope you guys uh, stay safe and sane through the rest of quarantine. Uh, I'm sure we will. Uh, like I said, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be ditching, Zon, uh, ditching John very soon, uh, heading to New York in a couple weeks. Back to Wuhan. Back to, exactly. <laughs> I got to get a one-way ticket back to Milan. Um, no, I, it... Uh, so definitely trying to like say jam as many of these podcasts as we can, but while we're, while we're jam as much as we can into the, the fossil. fossil. Yeah, exactly. Obviously. obviously. Um, but you know, this did, you know, you'd say telling us to stay sane. This is one of the things that we do to stay sane. It's a great creative outlet. We highly encourage, which is why we want all of our friends to, you know, get on the podcast and stuff. And just, it's a great way to, 
talk about something that we love, especially because quarantine is a time of nostalgia when you can't do much. So a lot of us are looking to the past and stuff. And it's fun to revisit these movies and these things that we can still experience over and over again. Absolutely, man. Well put. Yeah. John, thanks as always for being here for tolerating me. You only have a week and a half more. Uh, Thank God. Oh, come on. This <laughs> has kidding. been fun. I kid. You, uh, the I audience kid. can see the electricity we had yeah. in our Instagram live video. The yeah, chemistry. obviously. Um, <laughs> Shooting out the I'll roof. definitely be phoning in on Saturday, so expect uh, expect another surprise appearance. Hell yeah, I love it. Are you going to surprise us or are you going to let us know what we're going to be talking about? Because I'm down for either. <laughs> Oh, I'm definitely going to keep the, the topic of surprise. Hell yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Keep us on our toes. You know, keep we got to be prepared. Exactly. And like I say, even though this podcast will be coming out uh, very long after like, we do the Instagram. years most likely <laughs> after the Instagram live. Uh, but it's something that we we'll Definitely do. Uh, as, a, as a hint. Brush up on your history of Pirates on the Barbary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is, uh, that's definitely what we can bookmark some Wikipedia pages. Uh, this is, that's, yeah. that's, I'll, that's, I'll shoot you over some literature. Give me, give me <laughs> some, some yeah, can you get a, Can you send us your JSTOR account? Exactly. I, I got, I, I'm good. I'm good. Oh yeah, I, I still got that right. student JSTOR. Still got, don't worry. Still got that, 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 that ProQuest or whatever account. Uh, awesome. Well, very much looking forward to that. Noah. very much looking forward to our 12-hour extravaganza live, live podcast. Uh, unedited. Unedited. Unfiltered. Yeah, Instagram. <laughs> Uh, in, in the foxhole. In, that, that might have to be the title deep into the foxhole uh, Instagram will have to kick us off uh, but uh, as we will open the page for that we are closing the book right now in this podcast course on School of Rock for Noah and John uh, I'm Will signing off are you reeling in the years stowing away the time are you gathering up the tears have you had enough of mine? Are you reeling in the years?